So Money episode 854, Ask Farnoosh with special co-host, Allison Task. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everybody. March 1st. Man, February came and left us. We only had 28 days for February, my favorite month of the year. But, you know, here we are, March 1st. We are... We are in the thick of things, ladies and gentlemen. Stacks House is happening in a month. My team and I were mostly excited, a little nervous, <laughs> but uh, we would love for you to join this crusade. And I know I'm going to be talking about this a lot on the podcast. I'm sorry, not sorry, but this is my you know, passion project. And um, you just got to ask for what you need. And what I need is for you to, to help us, to join us, to share with us. You know, we want to help women achieve their fullest financial potential. Stacks House is going to be one of the first offerings within a whole ecosystem of products and services and events that me and my co-founders want to provide women because money is the thing. Yeah, you're on this podcast. You you know that. Not news to you, but we want to really accelerate women's progress in the financial world get more money in women's hands, get out of debt, save more, do all the things. And so Stacks House is launching in Los Angeles, April 2nd, which is also National Equal Pay Day. And you can go to stackshouse.com to learn more about what we've got planned, all the crazy rooms and installations and experiences, as well as you know how to get involved, how to get tickets, and to join us on, uh, on this journey. So that's my little plug. I will promise to keep it balanced this month, but I, I really do want to make sure that we get these reminders out because it's all about, you know, mobilizing the community. You guys have been so great joining me since day one of this podcast. And I feel like this, uh, Stacks house has really been a resurgence of my, I don't know, just my intentions in this world of personal finance to help women. And it's something that I'm extremely excited about and I just can't help myself. So thank you for bearing with me. Shifting gears. This was a really great week for podcasts in case you missed out on anything. On Monday, we had Maria Aspen on the show, who is editor-at-large at Inc. Magazine. And she's got a book out called Startup Money Made Easy, which um, I'm not sure that I believe in that title, <laughs> having gone through Stacks House fundraising ourselves. But, but it's a great book for anybody who wants to learn how to realistically raise money for their startup. What was really surprising to hear was that most CEOs that she interviewed, looking back at their startup days, on average, they needed just about $5,000 to get the the ball rolling, which is a lot less than I had thought. So that interview, chock full of wisdom and insights and inspiration, that's episode 852 with Maria Aspen. And then on Wednesday, we had uh, Dr. Anna, who is a doctor, obviously, and focuses on hormonal health. She's got a book out called The Hormone Fix. And uh, she was very, just really went there on the episode talking about her own personal experience with early stage menopause and being a doctor, feeling like she just didn't really have the the, the knowledge, the, the guidance to 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 work through these issues to ultimately conceive what she did. Uh, but it was a journey and she shares some of that and also the connections between health and wealth, which we are obsessed with on this podcast. 
Mm. Mm, you hear that, lady? That's Allison Task. She's been <laughs> she's been listening. She's a good listener. Allison Task <laughs> is back, ladies and gentlemen. Allison is a friend. She was last on this show promoting her book, and we want to catch up with her, see how things are going. But I love Allison especially for these Friday episodes, because she comes with such a wealth of knowledge as a coach, a career and professional coach, as somebody who is also a mom of four. And Got um, <laughs> holy crap, Allison, Allison, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Also, just wanted to uh, shout out to the man who introduced us and made our little romance start here. My husband, Aaron. Happy birthday, Aaron. <gasps> Yay. Happy birthday, Aaron Task, which has, he's also been on this podcast, of course. Mm-hmm. And you two back in the day, like in the aughts, you two had your own podcast. Yeah, we did. It was called street. Wall Street Confidential, I think, wasn't it? Um, at the street.com. Yeah. People think podcasts are just kind of this new age medium, but actually I had and and Aaron and all of us at the street.com had dabbled in this uh, back in 2006. And I kind of wish we'd just stuck with it because imagine <laughs> saying that like you have had, you've been podcasting for 13 years. That's, that's, uh, that's unique. Yeah. I'd say it would be like episode 10,000 or yeah. not. Whatever. <laughs> so, so yeah. So I listened to your whole, I'm so excited for your launch. I, I know it, like you said, it comes from the heart. It's a passion project. I'm so excited for what you're doing. It's so important. And yes, with my clients, women and money, I deal with, you know, lots of different people coming in for career coaching. And the first question they ask before they want to make a big move is, can I afford it? Or that's the question they actually don't ask, but it's one of the first 15 minute questions. I ask, let's just talk about money because career and money are super intertwined and career money and mental health, right? Mm -hmm. Your thoughts about money, obviously abundance, scarcity, all of that. I love so much when you talk about health and money, I it just makes me happy because, because we need that conversation and women we're pulling no punches when we go to our financial advisors and it sounds like they're speaking a differently, a different language. We're going to say, could you just break this down? I yeah. know I'm a smart person and what you're saying isn't making sense. You're trying to obfuscate me, right? Like I love, believe your own intuition on what makes sense with money. Thank you for saying that. You know, I think I've always tried to remind myself and my girlfriends and everyone listening who's a female that, you know, we may sometimes feel as though, you know, the, the, look, the financial world is, is designed largely by men for men. And mm-hmm. so as it's as a woman inserting yourself in that context, you can feel as though you're not a part of the club that maybe you're asking a question that is too rudimentary or, Oh, you know, I know this might be a stupid question. No, there are no stupid questions. We are actually really great at asking for directions as we know, <laughs> you know, let's, like, let's just leverage the, the, the good skills that we have, apply them to the financial world there. We're going to win. I mean, like the studies already show that women are better investors than men and we're much better at um, achieving our goals because we are much better at creating goals. Uh, we're very goal oriented. And so let that be a reminder to you if you're ever feeling insecure about your place in your financial life, that actually you have what it takes. You have more than what it takes. Your book, Personal Revolution, Allison, um, has gone, I mean, it's international now. You're all over the place. I'm huge in Japan. You're huge in Japan. You're huge on so money. Tell us a little bit about um, life after the book and what it has taught you. Well, thank you. Well, what was interesting about Personal Revolution is it's actually my third book. And the first one I self-published. 
Um, and I self-published it because like I didn't have the time to write a proposal and sell it and put it in the market. I just needed it in my client's hands, right? I, 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 I'm a coach, so I sell customized coaching services, but there were people who couldn't afford me, understood and needed the support. And I was like, I just got to get this out of my system. I got to put it in people's hands. And there are people who would never come to me for coaching. And I'm thinking right now of, of close friends and people like that who just, you know, there's an awkwardness because they, I mean, listen, I've coached my husband. I can, I can coach everybody, but if you don't feel like we can do it, then we can't do it. But these same people have read my book, people from high school, professional people uh, from yours and, and Aaron's crowd, who I get a note from, like Allison, whatever. I was sheepish. I couldn't come to you. But I have to tell you, your book has changed my life. So the act of putting the book in the world, the act of selling it, it became an Amazon bestseller in the first week. Um, and then the best is knowing that it's having an impact and getting those sheepish letters from mm -hmm. people because my last chapter is, turn around and say thank you to all the people who helped you ah. with this. So, you know, I'm asking for the thank you card, but then come <laughs> and it's, it's been super. And it, it has actually really expanded through honestly, your podcast um, and James Altucher's podcast were two of my biggest lead generators. Calls came in from across the country and around the world. I started coaching a lot more in Europe and Asia, thanks to you and by putting the book out there, I have something to talk about. And podcasts have been the largest source of incoming clients because people who listen to podcasts take action. Yes. So thank you, Farnoosh, for that opportunity for lots of new wonderful clients. And thank you to our listeners for doing the good work. I know you guys really... Um, you follow through. You're a mobilized group of people. And um, it's why I love being the host of this show because I feel like my words, my thoughts, our listeners' wisdom, it's not falling on deaf ears, obviously. Oh. It's, it's very an in-tuned audience. And so more reason why I love having you on this particular type of episode where we answer people's questions. This is one of our most popular types of episodes on So Money. Um, I, you know, more popular than even like celebrities coming on this show. People really want to hear not only their own questions answered, but what are other people curious about? Because I think we all um, share sometimes similar issues. So we have questions today about everything from starting a podcast to life insurance to real estate, two questions coming in from uh, our audience related to real estate. And I know you're kind of in a in a crossroads yourself with real estate. <laughs> let's, let's start with the podcast question. This came through our email at somoneypodcast.com. This person clicked on Ask Farnoosh. Sharon, hello. She wants to start a podcast and uh, she is thinking about it. It's Right now she's thinking it's going to be pretty basic. Speak to some guests on the phone. Record that interview with a call recording app on her iPhone. Um, she says that it does get expensive when speaking to guests outside the country. Wondering what equipment do you use to record your podcast? All right. So right now, Sharon, Allison and I are on Skype. And I know some people don't like Skype, but it's worked for me, I'd say, 90% of the time since day one. It's free. You can get a $30 widget software thingamajig called um, Call Recorder. It's, it's called eCam with two M's, E-C-A-M-M, -M, Call Recorder. I believe it's $29.99 for the software. It connects, it syncs with your Skype when you download it. 
And so every time you record, this call recorder app uh, will record your voice and your guest's voice. And from there, you can get the, the sound file and you can edit from there. I also would recommend Zencaster, which is a free website, Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com. Literally anybody anywhere in the world that has a secure network can go on Zencaster. It's free. And you just send the website to them. Um, and you're, uh, you, you create a special link, especially uh, specifically for the two of you. You both get on that link and you can record. Um, you can also record via Zoom. I wouldn't do it on the iPhone. I know the iPhone, you know, your data is going to get really tired and, and worn out. Um, it's it's going to get expensive with international calls. So work to co- use one of these VoIP software programs um, that are free to get you recorded easily and on the cheap. What do you think, Allison? First of all, I just, I love you, Farnoosh. I think you're cool and awesome. And smart, <laughs> but you Thank just you. told her how to get her podcast going for 30 bucks. You know how to spend your money well. I trust you. you. You're not afraid to spend money, but you just solved that. And you gave her, like, here's the system I use. Not everybody does that. People pay games, ask you to take an online class, pay thousands of dollars to get the information you just shared for free. So you're aces. I think you're right. I think if she's thinking about starting a podcast, do it. Use the software Farnoosh uses. It works. Most of the podcasts I was on when I was promoting my book did it via Skype. Yeah, it's got, yeah. There only on occasion has Skype let me down, but that's why I have these other backups like Zencaster. You can also do Zoom. Um, yeah, there. And yeah, maybe use your phone in a pinch, but it, I would not. Uh, I would not use your phone as a primary um, tool. Yeah, do it. Good call. I like it. Good, Good luck, evening. Sharon. Thanks for. Um, your question. And I, I'm really excited. I, you know, I love helping anybody who wants to start a podcast. So keep those questions coming. Oh, Farnish, one more thing to add. Yes. I was asked to be a guest on a podcast and I said yes. And then she sent me a contract, what? which what? included, I think that she was going to own one of my children. Like what? if I said oh, the wrong. Yeah. So please be like Farnoosh, be generous with your guests, send them a little note about what they can expect, but don't send them weird legal documents. Not that you would, I'm sure you wouldn't, but mm. like that was the only podcast. I was like, no, thank you. People get weird. Don't be weird. Yeah. Well, that's for sure. And you know, on along the, that note, I've had a, on one or two occasions, guests send me contracts and, and say really? like, they are going to own the audio. They can get a, they, they're going to get the last edit. I'm like, what? I'm sorry. What? <laughs> First of all, this is, this is just content. Like, I don't understand. We're not doing, we're not doing a commercial. You're not like hiring me to work for you. This is really weird. And then you just know they're not going to be a comfortable guest. Exactly. Even if you were okay signing that. So I usually just kindly decline after that. That's a big red flag. Um, but yeah, let's just keep it friendly. Our next question is from Kim Allison and she actually left a voicemail. So I'm going to let that play, but it concerns life insurance and long-term disability. So let's hear what Kim has to say. Hi, Farnoosh. My name is Kim. I have a question specifically about life insurance and about long-term disability. My husband and I are both in our early 30s. We do not have kids. And I have a small whole life insurance policy, and my husband has some insurance through work, Um, but we do need to look at getting some long-term 
disability, um, as well as some term life insurance. We've been working with a financial advisor, and I'm just worried that it seems like it's really expensive, and I'm just not sure how to know how much coverage is enough, how much is too much, um, are we paying too much? So I don't know if there's a good average for people who are you know healthy, early 30s, no kids, how much you should be really spending on life insurance and long-term disability at that point in your life. So any help would be much appreciated. Thank you. All right, Kim, thank you for your audio question. So Allison, she's healthy, early 30s, no kids, and thinking about life insurance and long-term disability, which I'm going to start with the long-term disability. I feel like you're way too young to be concerning yourself with long-term disability. I actually did a little behind-the-scenes research for you, Kim, and I went to the American Association for Long-Term Care Insurance. That's A-A-L-T-C-I.org. And in general, just a good website to check out for data and information. But they don't even recommend you start to really look at this until around 52 to 64 years old. You know, here's the thing. If you start getting it now, you have to keep paying it until you're going to need it, which might not be till you're 70. So that's like 40 years of payments. And like any insurance, if you miss a month or two, you're on the risk of it becoming terminated. So minimize your risk, get it when it makes the most sense, 52 to 64, keep being healthy. Generally, it costs, and this is again, according to the website, um, it can cost anywhere from two to $3,000 per year when you get it in your 50s, assuming you are healthy and all the things. So uh, would shelf that for now. But let's talk about life insurance. This is important. I know you don't have kids now, or I'm not sure if you'll have them down the road, but you do have a partner. And so the two of you really want to protect yourselves in the event of the unexpected. I did some calculations for you on Policy Genius, which is actually a friend of the podcast. They've sponsored us, but I do like their, their AI. I like going on their website. It's very straightforward. They have a calculator. You just type in your age, your general health, um, how much life insurance you want. And the recommendation is about eight to 10 times your salary. So I just typed in a million dollars to just, you know, as an example. And they came back with quotes ranging from 22 to 40 bucks a month for term life insurance. And that depends on the number of years you want it for, 15, 20, 25. Term life insurance is very inexpensive compared to whole life insurance. So that's my recommendation. Allison, you know life insurance is you have to have this once you have a family. Yeah, you do. And I will just say, because I'm sassy like that, man, I hate things like life insurance. I feel like, you know, I've, I've been paying health insurance my whole life, life insurance. It's like, I hate paying for these things I never need because I'm so damn healthy. But my thing is, I pay for them and I believe that literally because I pay for them that I will never need them. So it's like a personal tax. I This is how I wrap my warped mind around it. It's a personal tax I pay to never need the thing. So I really appreciate that she's thinking about it. I get the feeling that she's somewhat recently married because she's in her early 30s. She, I get that uh, Kim, I feel like she's a woman who's got her eyes dotted and T's crossed. So dot those eyes, cross those trees, uh, T's. I like the idea of term. If she's nervous about disability for some reason, who knows? She may have a family history. I don't know. I don't mind doing it. Again, I feel like you you pay the bill so that you don't have the problem. That's how I 
Yes, it's, it is peace of mind a thousand yep. percent. Uh, we hope nobody ever has to enact on their life insurance policy, but you know, it's just one of those things um, where you'd rather just be able to know that it's taken care of. Okay. A couple more questions. Anahi on Instagram wants to ask a question regarding real estate. So here's the situation. Anahi and wife have a six month old and currently powering their way out of debt. Once they're debt-free, they've got their eyes set on buying a house, but they live in California, which is pricey, and that's become a challenge. They're looking at starter homes, and uh, they're trying to follow the 25% rule for a mortgage as well, even though a lot of times people go up to 30% or 35% of their budget for uh, a home. But when I do the math, he says that comes to a $300,000 home, which is impossible here. Rent is rising and rising, and I feel like we're in a rut. What's your advice? All right. I got strong feelings on this. Please go. So I live in Montclair, New Jersey, a place I'm trying to woo Farnoosh to. So any support, unique <laughs> listeners, Montclair, New Jersey for Farnoosh. But here's the deal. When we bought our house, my husband was like, how about we rent? And I was like, yeah, I want to buy. I live the dream, right? You, you're getting yourself out of debt to take on debt. So I just want you to stop and think about this. Here's the thing people don't tell you about homes and I'm okay buying a condo or what have you. Oh my God, the homes cost money. Mortgage ain't got nothing on my home costs. First of all, I live in an area where we've got 3.4% tax. So most tax bills in my area for houses that are three or four bedroom start at 20K. 20K a year, people. So first of all, I want to know what the taxes are in his area. Second of all, is he handy? My husband and I are not. What a mess. Not only do we have to pay contractors, but we have to beg them to come over. I've already had two lawsuits with contractors that have done me real wrong. I don't want any of this headache. But at this point, if we sell... You know what I mean? Like we're kind of, we're house poor, not because of the mortgage. So take a real look at that house. Look at the grounds. Look at the flooding. Look at the roof. Look at the boiler. Look at your wife. Look at the paint. <laughs> the mortgage isn't even the beginning. Look at your taxes of your housing costs. I want you to look at the whole picture and decide, A, if you want a house, and B, if maybe a rental does make more sense. If you are one of those handy people, then perhaps you want a multifamily where you can rent out part of it. Because I have had I have relatives who are handy who've done real well with multifamilies because their house becomes an income stream. So I don't like home as American dream at all. Because it quickly becomes, like I said, the mortgage isn't even a portion of our monthly payment. Right. So typically when we say 30%, 25%, we're talking about housing costs, not just the mortgage, right? We're talking about your bank payment for the mortgage, but also taxes and also maintenance. That's everything you want to squeeze into that 25% or 30% figure on a he. And I know this is sobering and this is probably not the uplifting advice you were hoping for, but I do like your idea, Allison, of multi-home, multi-family. And look, you have your whole lives to save up for a home if that's your goal. You don't feel pressure to start doing this now. You're going to have a, you have a baby right? You have debt right now. Like you have a lot on your plate, not really the time to throw on this other huge financial exercise. You know, buying a home is the biggest 
financial investment or rather, you know, purchase that you will ever make. And so you really want to make sure you have all your ducks in a row and also giving yourself time to reflect on whether or not this is actually what you want as opposed to what you feel pressured into. I love that furniture. So that's the life coachy moment here, which is, you know, my clients often walk into my office with a lot of shoulds and expectations and the societal expectation that once you're married and have a child, you buy a home you're not buying a home. The bank's buying your home and you get to pay them for the privilege for the next 30 years. And depending on the interest rate you get, you might be paying, you know, double the price of your home to have that home over time. So just, just really think about this, not as an investment, but look at the shoulds and expectations around this choice. If we told you you didn't have to, and it wasn't the dream and the image that's been paraded in front of your eyes for years and years, is it the right financial choice? Yes. All right. Really quick. Lauren also has a question about related to buying a home, but more about her credit score. So she and her husband are planning to buy a home in the next year and they have a pretty good size down payment, but her credit score is not where it really needs to be to get, I guess, the, the good interest rate on the loan. Her husband has a great credit score. She doesn't have student loans, no car payments, she has a Macy's card that she got in her early 20s, forgot to pay a $60 charge for 90 days, hence the lower credit score, I guess. She's always being rejected for credit cards, she said. And so ultimately wants to know how to increase the score for the purposes of being in a good place to buy this home and asked, could I finance a computer or piece of furniture? Okay, first, don't do that. Don't finance anything. A lot of times when these retailers offer you like financing for a big couch or a TV, what it is you're basically is you're maxing out a line of credit or you're maxing out their store credit card. And that doesn't help your credit. Um, necessarily. So I'm not saying that's an absolute thing that's going to happen, but you have to read the fine print. A lot of these sort of financing um, incentives are, you know, they're, they're shiny objects. People go for them, but they don't really realize the ramifications on your credit score. Here's what, I mean, if you need to buy this house immediately, um, then it could be that your husband should be the only one who applies for the loan. If your credit score is going to jeopardize your ability to qualify as a couple to get a loan and a good interest rate on that loan, it may be the sort of thing where your husband is the only one on the loan. will mean you may not qualify for as big of a house, but you'll get the interest rate that you want. Meanwhile, you build up your credit and down the road, you could potentially refinance to have you both back on that loan. But a lot of couples do it this way because it's just it just happens where one person has a better credit score than the other and they really want to make this purchase. So one person will apply for the loan You'll both be on the deed. Make sure that happens. So you both own the home technically, right? But he may be the only one that is having his name on the mortgage, but you're both responsible for it. You just have to make an agreement and a promise to one another to do that. Otherwise, raising your credit score, it's not a quick fix. You need to just pay your bills on time every month consistently for many months, for for years. And I know you're not getting accepted for credit right now. So maybe look for a secured credit card. This is a credit card that basically the line of credit is your money. You put your money on the card and then you start using it like a credit card and paying off your balance in full every month will then allow you to graduate to a real credit card with an actual bank credit limit. And then, you know, again, I don't know how this is going to sync up with your home buying goals, but if you can wait to do that, to get yourself in a better credit position and then co-apply for this mortgage, that could be one route. The other route is having your husband just apply 
based on his credit profile, not yours. Allison, anything else? Is there any way that he can get pre-approved so they can at least ballpark what they're, you know, him alone, what, what, uh, amount they'd have to spend on a house? Yeah, they definitely can do that. Um, and I would talk to your banker, talk to your mortgage broker. If you have one just to really understand the reality. Yeah. It may be that, you know, maybe she doesn't, if her credit score is not great, but also maybe she doesn't have a lot of savings or income, it wouldn't have really made a material difference anyway in, in their co-application. If she had a great credit score, but not a lot of like financial assets, um, it may not have been made an impact on the kind of loan that the bank would have given them. But just to have this conversation with your, with your bank or your potential lender to get um, a, a more realistic sense of what you're facing. And that's a wrap. That's a wrap, everybody. Thank you so much, Allison. Thank you, Farnoosh. It's been a pleasure to speak with you as always. I look forward to the next time. Everybody check out Allison at allisontask.com. I'll be putting that site on our site as well. Hope you have a great weekend and everybody hope your weekend is so money. Money.